listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 334. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus. Sjastok! Oh, hey, son, hey, son, what's going on here now? Now, I have uh, been studying Hungarian, and I understand that if you're just one, you just you say Sia, not Sjastok. Sjastok is the plural. True! True, True. so, Andras, <laughs> forgive us, forgive us. I'm very sorry. No, actually, it, um, I used the majestic form because Pontus Ooh. is so awesome that he's <laughs> plural. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I have a split personality or something. Anyway, Andras <laughs> is not here. Yes. So he is m missing in action. He is out doing his work, whatever mm -hmm. it is he's doing, traveling and showing people around. And there were missed planes and there were rescheduling and he just couldn't make it today. So we'll have to do without him this time. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think we'll just jump in. Um, well, I have something first before we yeah. get into the, the real segments, if you will, because I have good news about QED. Oh, tell me. <laughs> yeah, as all, you all know. The conference is on the weekend of the 29th to the 30th of October in Manchester, in the UK. Mm -hmm. And if you've been around before, you probably know that there's usually a Skepticamp event on the Friday before. So this, in this case, that would be the 28th. And now it has been announced, or it will have has been announced, whatever you say. <laughs> Because as we record, this is still secret, but when we release it, it is all official. There will be a Skeptic Camp this year as well. And, uh, it, well, if you don't know what the Skeptic Camp is, maybe I should explain that. It is a almost a full day of very short talks, one after another. Anyone who feels that they have the urge to say something and have a good idea to talk about can apply. You have to apply in advance. And then you only have 10 minutes to present your... So it's a sort of a speed talk. You have to talk... Well, not... Don't talk too fast, but uh, you have to <laughs> limit the scope of the talk to 10 minutes. And if you want to do so, you can apply. The event as such for attendees and speakers, of course, alike, is free to attend. You don't even have to have a ticket to QED itself. You can go anyway and uh, you just show up. If you're interested in giving a speech, one of these 10-minute speeches... You must submit your application before the 31st of August, uh, or maybe even on the 31st of August. And um, the organizers will then reply within a week or so whether your talk has been accepted. And the organizers this year is our friends, the wonderful Skeptics in the Pub online team. Oh, nice. Uh, yes. So uh, if you're not aware, the very many, or The, the different Skeptic in the Pub organizations in the UK have collaborated during the pandemic to do Skeptics in the Pub talks online. And now this year they will also organize the Skeptic Camp thing. Usually it's around, it's quite a few talks you can listen to. It's about, I think, 20 or so usually during the day. It starts at 11 o'clock in the morning. I guess there's a lunch break somewhere in there and then it continues. And so I, I really, so if you're going to QED, do show up a day early so you can attend the Skeptic Camp. I very much recommend that. It's always great fun and you get to meet 
lots of fantastic people. It's usually packed house, so be there in time so you get so you don't have to stand at the very end. Uh, you have a, you get a seat as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, Annika, will you apply to talk? Maybe I, I, I probably should. <laughs> I would definitely yeah, I urge anyone mm-hmm. who wants yeah. to to do that, especially because Skeptic Camp is a bit more open. Mm-hmm. You don't have to put in like a whole paper. <laughs> That's right. To do that, so I might, I might. It just depends a bit on um, flights and everything, like how to schedule everything <laughs> with a, with with, yeah, <clears> with a toddler. That. But yeah, I I might very well do that. <laughs> will you? Well, I haven't decided yet, but uh, I have been. This will be my sixth QED, and all the previous five QEDs I have given a talk at Skeptic Camp. So. I think the odds are high that I will, or low. <laughs> what? What are they high or low? Well, it, it is very probable that I will do it <laughs> if I get accepted. Of course, you have to apply and you have to tell the organizers what you, what you're going to talk about. So, if there's too many applications, they will filter out some. Mm. But uh, I think should. I will. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would talk about uh, yet, but I'll think of something before the 31st of August. Anyway, it'll be a great time, and uh, I am so looking forward to it. Me too. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. And something I want to mention is it's not completely Europe-based, but ESA, European Space Agency, did fund a bit of it, and that's why I do want to mention it. And that is that James Webb, the telescope, sent back yeah. the first photos. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the internet's gone crazy with oh, it. Oh, yes. And, and for good reasons. Yes. The pictures are amazing. Yeah, they are. I'm not sure I understand what I'm seeing there. There's a lot of galaxies and stars, but I understand they're looking back like 13 billion years in the past at things that happened almost at the beginning of the the universe, really. Yeah, it's like it's it's humbling and at the same time it's inspiring. So, <laughs> it's amazing that you can do it. Yes, and yeah. I'm just like. I, I kind of want to print the photo and hang it up because it's also so beautiful. So, yeah, from this bit of vanity from me, (laughs) (laughs) why don't we go over to a segment that normally Andres is doing? But if I understood correctly, then you you are here in his stead. (laughs) I am. I am. Okay. So then let's jump over. (laughs) Right. So as regular listeners of the show know... We have a special nerd interest in space exploration. We already <laughs> mentioned it, so uh, you must know by now. Uh, and usually, this is Andras' speciality. He is that's his department. He is the real space nerd among us. But uh, in his absence, I will do the honors. And this is a subject that actually ties very well with last week's really wrong segment, with the three Russian cosmonauts waving their stupid flag on the ISS. Because on the 15th of July, back in 1975, the last Apollo mission launched with the last ever Saturn rocket as well. And only a few hours later, the Soviet Union launched their Soyuz 19 capsule or module. Two days later, the two spaceships docked in space and the famous handshake in space took place. So this was the Apollo-Soyuz test project, ASTP. Well, in Russia, of course, they called it something else, or in the Soviet (laughs) Union at the time, they called it Experimentalny Polyot Soyuz Apollon, or the EPAS. Of course, they put Soyuz 
before the Apollo, and the Americans put the Apollo before the Soyuz, but that's how it is. Anyway, this was a, a symbolic end of the space race, if you will, and the start of a new scientific collaboration era. Uh, th- that eventually led up to the creation of the ISS, hence the call back to last week's mm. uh, Really Wrong. The ISS, of course, being the International Space Station. The Apollo Soyuz project was hailed as a huge success, uh, both from a technical and a political point of view. Already on this first encounter in space, the three American astronauts and the two Russian cosmonauts, they carried out joint and separate scientific experiments, and they helped each other. So the Apollo module at one point was detached from the Soyuz module again and moved a bit to create an artificial solar eclipse for the Russians to take pictures of the corona and and several other things like that. It was Mm -hmm. all beautiful and we all loved each other. All participants there were trained both in Russian and English so that they could communicate with each other. And uh, both the Soviet premier, uh, which was Leonid Brezhnev at the time, and the US president Gerald Ford celebrated the occasion. Ford even had a personal phone call. I don't know how they did that back then, but uh, (laughs) there's a picture of him picking up a normal phone. I don't know if that's arranged. But anyway, he he called them up and he talked to them. He talked both to the Russians and to the Americans. And um, I hate to remind people how bloody old I am, but I do actually remember this. (laughs) I was only 10 years old at the time. But I have, and I think I've talked about this before, I was already fascinated by space and by the... Apollo landings, the moon landings. And we talked about this occasion, the the handshaking space in my family. It was uh, perceived as the end of uh, the hostilities. And finally, the US and the Soviet Union could collaborate in peaceful projects like this. And it uh, actually lit the hope for a world that was less divided. And, And to an extent, it happened too. There were several nuclear disarmament treaties in the following years Mm -hmm. and uh, life was beautiful eventually the soviet union fell apart without the need for any big third world war and uh, we were all very optimistic so that makes it so disheartening to see the current situation and especially the flag waving stupid thing that the the russian cosmonauts did uh, last week we talked about it last week yeah But talking about that, I actually had a conversation with Brian, our friend um, Brian Ego, about that. And he said, um, and I quote him, Just listening to the latest podcast, the really wrong segment made me think a little, is it possible these cosmonauts have been threatened or their families might explain the flag waving in a slightly more sympathetic light? And I have to agree with him. It's just like, yeah, it's very possible. Like they don't live in a democratic state. Yeah, that's right. It's, it, it doesn't make it better, but it makes it more understandable. And yeah, yeah. I, I was going to talk about that, actually, because I had the same thought when I listened back to it or I edited it. And um, f- first of all, what I'm thinking is that the suspicion is that the stupid flag was shipped up to the ISS instead of, well, in a capsule or whatever they use. That, that is normally used for food and supply deliveries, things like that. So, uh, so who packed this flag? It wasn't, and we, that we actually mentioned already last mm-hmm, week. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't the three cosmonauts who, who did that. Surely it wasn't them. So 
to make, and I was thinking even further, so, so to make room for that flag in that sh- containment, this shipment, something else had to go, right? So the message from the motherland, if you will, from Mother Russia, could very well have been, quote, no food for you this week, and if you don't wave the flag, remember, we don't only control the only transport you have to get back home, but we also have your families down here, wink, wink, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, good on you, Brian. I think that's very, very plausible, especially since these same cosmonauts were, well, accused slash credited with celebrating Ukraine early on, and then, of course, they denied it. But what can they do? We don't know. The bottom line is we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Like, we, we don't know any backgrounds whatsoever. But uh, we, we what we do know is that empathy and sympathy can lead us to peace. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. And they couldn't have pulled it off by themselves. Exactly. They must have had help. Yes. If nothing else, somebody down on Earth packed the flag for them yeah. to wave. Right. So um, that's what, well, a lot of it, <laughs> we, maybe we strayed a little bit from the subject, but this week in scientific history, no, in skeptical history, Twish is about the 15th of July, way back in 1975, when um, the US and Soviet Union at the time started their collaboration in space. That's very good, and it was a momentous date. <laughs> mm-hmm. And from a momentous date, I would like to go over to a momentous person if we have a Pope today. <laughs> we do have a Pope. <laughs> <laughs> we have a short Pope, I almost said, but he, <laughs> he's the same height as he normally is. But I, I will make a short update this week because we talked uh, about him already last week. So... What's new this week with Popey? In a recent interview with Reuters, Francis said that his knee pain was due to, quote, a small fracture in his knee. And uh, that has apparently happened after taking a small misstep while... uh, Anyway, something he had hurt himself. So maybe that's what it is. And uh, that's why he's been uh, seen uh, riding a wheelchair for Mm. for the last months, actually, or so. But more interesting, in the same interview, he was asked about the rumors of his eminent retirement. But he repeated, like he said actually before, that it never entered his mind, end quote. But that cannot literally be true, because the follow-up question was whether he was thinking about resigning ever. Uh, Then he replied, quote, for the moment, no, really. But the time will come when I see that I can't do it. And do it, I mean, perform the job, I suppose, he's he's, uh, referring to there. So when and if there comes a time and he can't do it, then he is actually open to the idea. We will see. I wonder, because it seems to me that he likes his job very much. It's actually a gig of a lifetime, isn't it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And in fact, it's clear that he's not slowing down. He'll be going to Canada in two weeks. He has several Italian visits in August, plus he's appointing uh, the new cardinals that we talked about. That's, I think, in the t- towards the end of August, there will be a ceremony. He will do that. He's still talking about visiting Moscow and then Kiev to discuss the, the situation there. But I don't think 
I don't know how that's going to happen, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. Unless Putin sees an opportunity to make it into a PR win for Russia. Because if, if Putin doesn't want Frankie to go to Moscow, why then he can't go. And Putin is only out to win cheap points. Yeah, but the Pope is also valuable. Like, he could be a good hostage, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, you mean? Well, <laughs> I, I don't think... That, that would be probably a step too far. Not because Putin would be above that, but it's just... It wouldn't be a good idea. It wouldn't, yeah, very wouldn't... undiplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> very much so, just I think. Just a tad. <laughs> yeah. Also, he has his own Pope. He's Kirill... True. Patriarch of the Orthodox Russian yes. uh, Church. Regardless of that, the Pope is still planning a lot of things. The Vatican has announced that Frankie will go to Kazakhstan for the 14th to 15th of September to attend the Congress of Leaders of World and Traditional Religions. Well, sounds like his kind of gig. So he's going there. Before that happens, he will also beatify Pope John Paul I on the 4th of September. And so there will be a ceremony about that. John Paul I was Pope for only 33 days in 1978. And um, normally when you make somebody a saint, you need to come up with a couple of miracles to justify the the thing. But apparently popes are different. So um, (laughs) traditionally miracles are not required for popes. But it, I, I, did he really earn sainthood by being the Pope for a month? <laughs> well, it's up to them, I guess. They 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 make up the rules. Anyway, so I, I promised this would be a short one. So this is all for this week about Frankie. He has a very busy schedule, so I'm sure there will be lots to talk about later on. Yeah. He's definitely not idle. <laughs> no. And we also shouldn't be idle, so let's jump over to the news. <laughs> That's right. I want to talk about a group that seems to be connected to the Querdenker group. Querdenker are this German group that are denying COVID and COVID procedures that are also saying it's like it's planned and that the state is behind it. And they're also like, eventually they are against democracy. And they now start the Freilerner scene. (laughs) And Freilerner translates to liberal learning or free learning. And it's exactly what it sounds like. They are trying to open illegal schools. Illegal schools. And they're illegal because in Germany, you have to have your curriculum okayed by the state. Yeah. And if Th- it's not, then it's illegal. I, I think that's normal. <laughs> that's normal, I think. Well, But how can they get away with that? Yeah, I mean, for example, in Australia, you can also do homeschooling. That That's not allowed in Germany. No, not in Sweden either. Yeah, so it's um, they are kind of not getting away with it, but also they are. Because they started pretty much at the beginning of COVID. And they tried to get their kids out of the quote-unquote state education system. Because they say, and I quote again, we want knowledge without censorship (laughs) (laughs) and alternative education. The problem is that they're actually trying to manipulate their students, of course, and to try to get democratic values out of the brains. They do that privately and they do it outside of schools, obviously. And right now it's starting to grow in Saxonia, Bavaria, and Baden-Württemberg, which is the federal country right beside Bavaria, so also in the south. 
yeah, it's it's pretty hard to see because this is like a van children are always vulnerable and if you put your children in illegal schools it's it's hard and the problem is that right now it seems that the bureaus and offices they seem to close their eyes like it it's not that they're not doing anything at all but they're like oh no we don't know that hmm we didn't mm-hmm. know that this would happen or that because this that's is what i'm thinking in sweden if a child do not turn up in school yeah eventually the school calls the police and say yes. hey and so Obviously, that doesn't apply for illegal schools, but you have to send your child to an, if you will, approved school. And if they don't go to any school, then it's a matter for the police. Yeah, and it's the same here, actually. But I think um, on the one hand, they sometimes do that as a kind of afternoon school. So like completely outside of, like they still send their kids to school. So in addition to... In addition. So uh then you can't do anything because it would be the same as to try to forbid a soccer class. (laughs) So, you know, it's like what you do in your free time with your kids. The Mm. other thing is that they have to, like for the police to become active just takes time, like sometimes several years. And that means they can already they can be in in these illegal schools for years until police connect becomes active. <laughs> right, but it, I, I guess it means that there is some sympathy for this even in official uh, bodies. Yeah, I don't want to go that far, but I think they just pretty much closing their eyes in front. Yeah, of but them. why wouldn't they do that? And unless they sympathize with it, maybe because I, I could I could think of other reasons. Because Querdenker and Reichsbürger and like all of these COVID denier people, a lot of them have been pretty violent. Like, don't forget the guy who got shot last year because he's, he um, urged one of Querdenker guy to wear a mask at a gas station. Yeah. Yeah, it could just be fear and not sympathy. That's not healthy. If the authorities are afraid of certain groups in the society then there's something seriously wrong definitely yeah yeah and i'm also not saying that that's what it is i can't really give you a reason but the blog that i read about it and also the documentary that i watched they said they would stay on the case and if there's any update i will definitely give that okay wow okay over to another interesting and disturbing subject. Yay! Con- <laughs> conversion therapy. The Swedish newspaper DN, which is short for Dagens Nyheter. Yes, uh, they have. have g- yeah, Dagens Nyheter means just the news of the day. Yeah, daily so news, yeah. <laughs> daily news, yeah. daily news, yeah, right. But they're one of the big ones mm-hmm. in, in Sweden, yeah. They have had uh, reporters going undercover to find out what's going on with conversion therapy in Sweden. And what they have uncovered is quite alarming. The tracks have taken them not only to Swedish organizations, but also to a whole network of international organizations that collaborate to spread conversion therapy globally. Maybe I should just pause a few seconds and say conversion therapy, meaning converting gay people to become quote-unquote normal. (laughs) Because that's how they these guys see it. So DN has identified close to 50 international organizations. 50. Five zero. Wow. <laughs> they have roots in uh, Russia, the US, and the Nordic countries and elsewhere. And it's not just religious organizations, they say, but also clinics and others. And a lot of it goes back to a Californian psychologist called Joseph Nicolosi, 
who is actually dead. He died in 2017, but he has been succeeded by his son. Mm -hmm. One of the organizations that they have identified is a British organization called X Out Loud. I guess they, I don't know. You sort of, it sort of makes sense, maybe, <laughs> for them. Yeah. I guess. And they have attracted, this X Out Loud organization has attracted a whole host of people who claims to have been liberated, quote-unquote, from their unwanted sexual and unwanted gender identities. Is it like too. eggs like in chicken eggs or eggs like in eggs? No, they, spe they spell it with a, the letter X. Oh, only. okay. So X Out Loud. Mm -hmm. And um, in one video that this that this organization has posted, uh, a young man is saying, quote, Our goal is to create a full army of ex-homosexuals, bisexuals and trans persons who want to celebrate their conversion, their freedom and change, end quote. My God. Mm -hmm. An army. Okay, fine. <laughs> An army. Yeah, even the, the language yeah. is very alarming there. And they say that they have attracted followers among young people in Germany, Annika. Doesn't surprise in Italy, me. In Italy, Belgium and Poland. Also, the Swedish investigation of this new newspaper has found that many of the religious organizations that are quite willing to undertake conversion therapy... What they do is they lure in people who are feeling guilty and they feel ashamed for their sexuality and they promise to convert them. Several of these religious organizations, just to make it even worse, have received money from the Swedish authorities yeah. because somehow <laughs> <laughs> the rules are built on the idea that religious movements are doing good stuff in society. And we can very much debate that. I mean, some, some religious organizations are at least harmless and maybe even doing something good. But a lot of them, like Jehovah's Witnesses, mm -hmm. I, I know that they have received subsidies as well from, from Swedish government. And that's very disturbing and very upsetting. And I, do, I know that Jehovah's Witnesses, for one, they are very keen on converting people. Yeah. So this is very harmful, of course. And to counter, to, to even to prove that, my next news item is from Spain, where there is some research that shows that gender identity is not something that you choose. Uh, a new book has been published by a Spanish professor called Antonio Guillamón, or something to that effect. <laughs> Andres, where are you when you need you? <laughs> yeah, well, this is Spanish. I, I'm not sure. Well, Spanish, I have, Italian, I... whatever. <laughs> mm. Don't, no, don't I'm insult joking, our, our uh, Spanish-Italian <laughs> listeners. It's very distinct languages, I'm sure. Anyway, <laughs> he has presented his results of scientific research into the psychobiological fundamentals of gender identity. The book is called... Gender Identity. Well, I've translated it from the Spanish. So it's called Gender Identity, a Psychobiological Approach. And obviously I haven't read it, but the reports and the interview that I read with this guy sounds very clearly scientific. In fact, the, the author is cited as saying, quote, science is not dogmatic. I propose a theory and then somebody else can prove that it's not true and I will stop defending it, end quote. That is exactly what science is all about. You come up with an idea, you, you test it, and you put forward a theory. 
But if somebody else proves that you're wrong, then you change your mind. That is fundamentally different from religions and, and pseudoscientific uh, nonsense. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So the research that he has done shows, according to him, that gender identity is established already before birth. So, and he says that most often, of course, it matches the physical body, mm -hmm. but it is a spectrum and sometimes it is at odds with that. It doesn't always match. So I'm, I'm quoting him now. Professor Guillamon puts it like this, quote, Gender identity is a continuum in which extremes predominate. And to pause that, I assume that what he means that most often people feel either male or female, but not always. No, there are non-binary people. <laughs> exactly. So he goes on to say, there are two large models, male or female, and a person adjusts to one or the other. In few cases, there's an inconsistency between the biological sex and the model, But in the cases in which it occurs, we have observed that there are brain differences in cis and trans men and cis and trans women. So he's claiming that there are differences in the brains of people, which is fine. I mean, that doesn't mean that it's something wrong. It's just that it, sometimes it doesn't match up. Your brain can say one thing and your body says another thing. And we have to respect that. It's not something you can choose. And also sometimes he says that sometimes the brain is sort of neutral and it hasn't decided. It's in the middle and, and we, we know what that is as well. So, so it's, a, it's a very long interview and we will link to it. It's very interesting and I think you should look it up. The only thing is that I cannot make out exactly how the research was made. They're only discussing the results of this, of this research, mm -hmm. not how he did it. So he speaks of identified brain differences, but it isn't mentioned how that has yeah. been determined. It sounds like I, I, I'm imagining that we talk about MRI scans, but I'm not sure because it doesn't say. I also would be a bit hesitant to believe that you can actually easily see that yeah. on, a, on a brain scan. How can you determine if a brain is female or male by just looking yeah, at it? Yeah, and I'm also curious about that because... Um, as far as I know, there are not brain differences between cis men and cis women. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, huh. <laughs> but yeah, it, it could be shady. that there are differences between yeah. cis people and trans people. Yeah. But pff, yeah, uh, I would be also be interesting to. Interested. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So I'm not entirely convinced. Yeah. <laughs> but everything that he says in this interview sounds very scientific. Mm -hmm. So uh, with some caveat uh, about that. He does talk also about hormones like testosterone and others, other hormones and how they influence already the unborn child uh, and small babies, which was a little bit new to me. He says that as an example, boys go through what he calls a small, short puberty already at three months old. So that's after birth. Mm -hmm. And sounds like, and I assume that he's looking at scientific data measuring testosterone levels and things like mm -hmm. that. Well, I noticed that all babies do that. Like I thought all babies do that because of the hormones of the mother <laughs> that they get through the breast milk. That's very likely. I, I don't know, but he, his example is, mm. is boys. But uh, going back to conversion therapy, yes. <laughs> this is why it, it, it fits with this. He says, that his research shows why conversion therapy cannot work. And he has this quote that I, I just uh, think is mm -hmm. a very, very apt. Quote, 
gender identity is not something that you choose. If you're lucky, you can choose what to eat, but you cannot choose whether you're hungry or not. End quote. Oh, that's a good quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit about it. You know, you there are things that happens within you and you can choose certain things, but you can't choose everything. Yeah, exactly. And also, regardless of this, if this guy is right or not, which, of course, I'm not competent to tell, what we can see is that conversion therapy does not work. Even people who say or claim that they have been converted, quote unquote, are not happy. That, that's been shown time and time again. And then... On top of that, of course, we we must say that there is no need to change. Exactly. Guys, boys, girls, whatever. Do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. It's not up to you to even try to change because it's not a problem. Exactly. With these wise words, I think we should go over to a completely different topic. It's mm -hmm. also about changing and not changing, but a different kind of change. And that's climate change. Ooh. Yeah, because I read an article that say that we're talking about the IPBES, which is the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services. And I probably should say Gesundheit again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy it wasn't a German. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but it's international, it be it's hard to 10 say. 10 times as long. Yeah. <laughs> probably one word, but as long. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and they say that they um, met in Bonn, which is actually pretty close to, to me. Like, it's basically one train stop down the road. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. The former uh, capital yes. of West Germany. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And mm. um, here they say it's a key to addressing the biodiversity crisis that we're running through because of climate change right now is to understand the true value of nature. So we have to recognize um, how people can relate to nature and to each other, how to have a good quality of life and still be economically developed. And to, to give you an idea, the IPBES is often referred to as the scientist's equivalent of the IPCC, so the UN mm -hmm. um, Climate Group. Yeah, it will give the scientific assessments of the planet's fauna and flora, of the diversity of that and the contributions. It's interesting that we really should place science-based valuation of nature at the heart of economic decision-making. So to make good economic decisions, we have to keep the value of nature in mind, they say. And that means that the sustainable use of biodiversity has to be more valued. And it is also one of the three pillars of the UN Convention of Biodiversity that will be interesting for the next decades, basically, to, to find this, this value and to the true value of nature. It's after all the thing we, we are living on and living from. Nicely, something that completely ties into that is that a survey in the UK found out that recycling doesn't work in the UK. And I'm probably, I'm pretty sure that this is the case for Not only the UK, but most of Europe too. That's very depressing. So should, should I stop trying to recycling my plastic? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. So what's happening is that the average participating household in the UK throws away about 66 pieces of plastic in a week. I would guess with a toddler, we're probably throwing away more, <laughs> way more <laughs> disposable nappies, for example. But yeah, the survey that was called the big plastic count <laughs> and they sampled 
nearly 100,000 households, so we can think that it's a pretty representative number. Yeah, recycling alone can't be the solution for reducing plastic waste because, and I quote Greenpeace um, UK's campaigner Chris Thorne, he said, quote, pretending we can sort this with recycling is just industry greenwash. We're creating 100 billion bits of waste of plastic a year and recycling's hardly making a dent. And interestingly is that 83% of the plastic that was thrown out was food and drink packaging waste. And if I think about our rubbish, that's probably also true for us, like my family. I actually think about the double-edged sword, probably. I wouldn't want to buy meat that is not wrapped in plastic, for example, <laughs> with, mm -hmm. with fresh cut meat, for example. It also extends the shelf life if you have it in plastic. Which also actually is a good thing for climate reasons. Yeah, exactly. Because if you have to throw away food quicker, yes. then you, you create waste that way. Exactly. So it, it's never as simple exactly. as you want it to be. But I think what I recently saw in the supermarket was that they, I wanted to buy some bell pepper, or like in Australia they call them capsicum, which is like this paprika in German. <laughs> yeah. Um, just this veggie which has a not a super tough shell, like you can cut it easily with a knife, but it is like um, a shell or a, um, a peel, no less. And it was covered in plastic. And there yeah, was like, individually, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, uh, we have that as well. And I always think, what the hell, like, why are what? you doing this? No, like you don't need that. You, you open it up and you throw it away. And this is also not extending the shelf life. Like with meat, that's completely different. <laughs> or with right. cut fruit. I'm not saying that, but with like fruit that is not uncut or like with, with food that doesn't spoil easily, that's probably a, um, a situation where... We can look at it and is, it, is that really necessary? But it probably also comes back to the fact that as customers, we expect unblemished, wonderful, nice looking food, like without yeah. any cuts and, and bruises. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, to be honest, if you go, if I go to the grocery store and I buy something, I don't pick the brown bananas. Yeah. I, pick, I pick the ones that are look fresh and yellow and nice. Exactly. And um, we'll do that. the fact is recycling doesn't work and we all create way too much rubbish, but we also shouldn't give up because this is still the planet we're talking about. <laughs> so, Well, saying that recycling doesn't work, I think is too drastic yeah, because it, it probably works is to an extent, exaggerated. but it's not good enough. I think yeah. that's what they should say. Yeah, it, it, it does yeah. work, but we just have to get more effective in it and still look in situations if we really need to wrap things. Yeah, yeah. No, so the, the solution should not be to, to not, not do recycling do it. anymore. Of course not. No. That would just be giving up. <laughs> yeah, now the solution is to do it better. Yeah, exactly. Okie dokie. So let's round up the news segment with a cautionary tale regarding multivitamins. The BMJ, British Medical Journal, very prestigious paper, they published a case report about a man, one man, who took lots of multivitamin pills in the belief that it was a healthy thing to do. And it didn't turn out very well for him. Mm -hmm. So I quote now from the actual report. A middle-aged male was referred to the hospital by a general practitioner after complaining of recurrent vomiting, nausea, abdominal pain, Ooh. leg cramps, tinnitus, dry mouth, increased thirst, 
diarrhea and weight loss. So he lost uh, almost 13 kilos. Wow. The patient had experienced the complaints for nearly, and this is continuing the quote, the patient had experienced the complaints for nearly three months with onset noticed approximately one month after commencing a vitamin regimen therapy on the advice of a private nutritionist, end quote. So, long story short, he was then hospitalized for eight days and it took months for him to recover. And I should say that his intake of vitamins were extreme. The vitamin D intake in particular was over 10,000 times <laughs> the daily requirement. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, what they say, everything is a poison. If, if you, you take, take too much of it, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, if you take enough of it, yeah. Mm. But the usual advice is clear nonetheless. Don't take a lot of vitamin pills just in case if you feel healthy. If you don't feel healthy, then you should go and see a real doctor. Yeah. And follow that doctor's advice. Do not confuse private nutritionists or health gurus or whatever with real medical practitioners. The truth is that most of us who are healthy and we have a somewhat varied diet and we feel good, we don't need multivitamins. Don't take them just because you think you'll be even better than 100% healthy. Yeah. Because that's, there's no, no, no such thing. It will be expensive uh, urine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Best case is that it's expensive yeah. urine. Because you just dispose of it. The, the body can't absorb it. So it, you just pee it out. But if you really overdo it, like this poor guy did, it is potentially lethal. And he was in a really bad state because... Somebody had told him he should eat a lot of vitamin pills. <laughs> That's, yeah. yeah. Bit sad. As I said, cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. From uh, one cautionary tale, I think we would could go to another one. But that was the news. And that means we'll find out who has been really right or really wrong lately. This week, I seem to have watched a lot of documentaries because it's from the same documentary team that um, I talked about with the free learning people. The free learner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that is MDR Investigative. <laughs> and they talked um, in their show about a healer that lives in a village. And in this village, he practices Germanic new medicine which mm. is exactly how anti-Semitic and problematic as it sounds. Uh, I haven't even noticed. Sorry, I've heard about Germanic New Medicine. I've never reflected over that. It's actually an anti-Semitic yeah, uh, thing there. Yeah, it's anti-Semitic wow. pseudo-medicine. Yeah, let's not, no Jew medicine for me. I will have German Aryan medicine. Yeah, that's wow. also not good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in the deck documentary, they say that this individual, this person also reacted violently and that the villagers are pretty afraid of him. That's, of course, an individual that's not reflective of the whole movement of Germanic new medicine. But the medicine, or in air quotes, medicine itself is still very problematic. It's full of anti-Semitic ideology. It's saying that every illness is caused by past problems in your past lives or decisions that you did wrong in your life. So your own fault, basically. Yeah, blame the victim. Exactly. And it's super dangerous for patients. It's, as I said, very anti-Semitic. 
And the worst thing is that they're also treating cancer patients and persuade them to discontinue their treatments wow. by and while getting money from these patients. Um, in the documentary, they also interview Professor Jutta Hübner of Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathie, so Information Network Homeopathy. The good guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> who also stresses again how harmful it can be to discontinue cancer treatments because sometimes it is a matter of weeks that you have to get on with it with your treatment. So, for threatening people's lives, for being anti-Semitic dickheads, and for being completely out of whack, the Germanic New Medicine practitioners receive this week's prize for being really wrong. Mm-hmm. Well deserved. I must say, I have heard, I've heard of Germanic New Medicine for a long while, but I have never studied i don't know really what they're all about and maybe that's a good thing <laughs> blissfully ignorant <laughs> yes yes right but there's one thing of course that you also mentioned here is that and and that is a lot of alternative medicine so-called medicine is excused by it's harmless it doesn't do yeah. anything so what's the harm well the harm is that you say no or delay real medicine yeah so you don't take the medicine that would actually help you. Yeah. And that, in, in, especially when it comes to yeah. cancer, you are working against the timeline here. Yeah. You, you need to do this in time as quickly as possible. And if you delay it just a few months, it can be very, very dangerous. And I mean, if it's something like a massage that is not scientifically proven, but it it makes you feel good, go for it as long as you're still getting treatment. Still take your pill. Still yeah. take your pill, still get any treatment that your doctor prescribes. But if it's something like, if someone tells you to discontinue your treatment, then your alarm bell should definitely ring. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a treatment for a reason. <laughs> that, that's right. But very often I hear alternative practitioners saying, well, I never said that you shouldn't do the normal thing as well, the, the real medicine as well. But if you take homeopathy, for instance as well as doing the other stuff. Yeah. Maybe you feel that, well, I already took all of these homeopathies, so maybe I'll skip the other one this week, or I'll do it later, or blah, 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 blah. Even if the practitioner didn't tell you to do so, there's a big risk that yeah. you do delay or postpone yeah, exactly. the, the, the correct treatment. Yeah, so... That pretty much, that um, not depressing note at all, <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty much wraps up our, our episode. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Pontus, thank for you. joining me this week. And thanks to our listeners for sticking with us. <laughs> but I don't want to let anyone go without a quote. And because we talked about astronauts and the James Webb Telescope and everything in the beginning and also in Twish, I thought a quote by an, a German astronaut would be a good idea. The quote is by Alexander Gerst, who is a German volcanologist and astronaut, born 1976. And he said, It's really questionable if aliens would actually see us as portraying intelligent life. Maybe they would fly to another planet first. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, That's a quite a career then, yes. volcanologist and astronaut. Yeah, but uh, but that's mm, nice. actually the case for a lot of astronauts. Actually, most that really? most of them are them are scientists, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But just but exactly, vo but volcanologist. It's that's a very yeah. Well, I didn't. I was. It's unexpected. a cool job. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Well, what could, what, yeah, I mean, of course. 
rumbling mountains and spewing lava mm-hmm. and stuff. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, that's now really the end. <laughs> so thank you again, Pontus. And until next week, goodbye. Goodbye. Tschüss. Hey do. Wieslat. <laughs> <laughs> This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe <laughs> I'll keep uh no I'll sorry I I don't can't think of the expression in English but <laughs> <laughs> Okay say it in German then Um now it's gone <laughs> <laughs> You can't I think, think I wanted of it in to German say either. something like I'll keep my ears peeled for it or whatever <laughs> <laughs> Okay very good very good Mm-hmm. Well, I almost said Austro- Ast- blah, blah. with the three <laughs> Russian co- cosmonauts. <laughs> three. <laughs> uh, how do you pronounce that? Beautify? 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 Can't say I think beautify because beautify Be- would mean that he makes beautify. them beautiful. <laughs> let's, let's get, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking.